You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is taken from Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has, some were spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may, fail, may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. Well, over the last decade, when I've asked people, how are you doing? One of the most common answers has been, busy. And it's said with a little hint of pride. You know, like I got things going on. Kind of a big deal. You know, I got things in my life. But it's interesting because I've noticed that over the last few years, the answer to the question, how you've been doing, has shifted from busy to tired. I'm just exhausted right now. I've already heard it this morning. Maybe you've told it to someone this morning. And it's interesting because it doesn't matter if it's morning or if it's evening or it's a weekday or a weekend or a three-day weekend or a time change with an extra hour. Young or old, men, women, professionals, students, Christians, non-Christians, people are exhausted. And what seems to unite the Western world today is a shared sense of fatigue. I'm tired. Me too. Me too. A research company called OnePoll found that about three out of five U.S. adults say that they feel more tired now, today, than they've ever been in their life. According to World Health Organization, 42% of adults are experiencing, quote, burnout. 48% of 18 to 29-year-olds describe themselves as perpetually drained, and 55% of adults surveyed said that no amount of rest helps them to feel rested. So our world is sensing a fatigue that runs deeper 
than sleep, an exhaustion that is deeper than a weekend off or, or a good nap or a vacation or a clear schedule. One of the most powerful ways that the gospel speaks to our current exhausted culture is the invitation that is offered by Jesus. It was actually read in our confession this morning. It's found in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, all you who are drained and exhausted, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. So the call to faith in Jesus is an invitation into a kind of rest that you will never experience anywhere else, no matter how hard you search. I love the way that Augustine once put it. He said, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Perhaps your heart is restless because it has not yet found its rest in God. Rest is at the heart of Christianity, not because we are distinctly good at it, we're not but because it is distinctly something that God provides for his people. It's something that he welcomes us into. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at this passage in Hebrews 4, essentially two different ways. Next week, we're gonna come back and we're gonna work through the details. Next week will be a typical sermon. This week will not. Because this week, what I wanna do is I wanna cast a vision by walking you through a biblical theology of the theme of Sabbath rest, which means that we're gonna trace the theme as it develops throughout the pages of scriptures because here's what the author of Hebrews is doing. The author of Hebrews is assuming that all of this is based on a knowledge of all of this. You see what I did there? Can you tell? I've only got one hand. All of this is based on a knowledge of all of this. So he will throw out statements just assuming that you know what he's talking about. It's like someone who's watched a, a series, a show, and then they're talking with their other friend. They're like, oh, and they're throwing out characters and names and like, oh, isn't that so funny? And you walk in, and you're like, I haven't seen the show. I have no idea what you're talking about. So what we have to do is we have to do the extra work and go back to the beginning to get a heart for what is being mentioned here. So if I may, I'd like to tell you a story. And it's specifically the story of rest. The story of a God who rests and welcomes his people to join him. So the story begins where all good stories begin, in the beginning, with rest at creation. Now the theme of Sabbath rest is found in the earliest pages of scriptures. But it's interesting because it's not first presented as a command, but a description of something that God himself enjoys. Now think about this, the eternal all-powerful, never-tiring God of all creation set aside a day to rest. In fact, we're, we're told in, in Genesis chapter two, after the process of creation, quote, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it what? Do you guys have that? Oh, okay, sorry. I can't see the little screen in the back. And he made it what? Oh, great, okay. That, that was legit. I, I didn't think it was up there. He made it holy because 
on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So there's a template that's set here. <laughs> my, my wife feels my inner angst with me right now. <laughs> so there's a template being set. Six days of work. And then on the seventh day, God rested from his work. And in so doing, or maybe more accurately stated, in so not doing, God made the seventh day holy. And, and this day, out of all other days, was set apart as sacred, marked by completion. By the way, this is the first mention in scripture of something being described as holy. And that's really important. And it's interesting to note that God declares everything in creation to be good. It was good, it was good, it was good. But then God declares the rest day to be specifically holy. So in terms of God's assessment of all that he has created, a heightened significance is assigned to a particular day of rest. And what this very brief mention does is something uh, theologically significant for all of the rest of the Bible. What it does is it ties rest and holiness together forever. So when God later says to his people, you shall be holy for I am holy, what does that mean? Well, among many things, it means that we rest like God rested. God created humanity in his image. He chose Adam to be his representative to cultivate and to keep the garden temple. And that rhythm of working and then resting was going to be the way that humanity would accurately reflect God in the world. Next time someone catches you taking a nap, just say, just reflecting God in the world. Just being a good image bearer here. So as I mentioned, the introduction to the Sabbath is not first introduced as a command, you should do this, but as a foundational principle woven into creation. It's more of a law of nature than a moral religious code. Both the creator and creation Rest. Just like a piece of art is going to reflect the artist, we, the creation, reflect our maker. And resting is a vital part of what it means to reflect him. I love the way that Ruth Haley Barton put it. She said, Sabbath keeping is the linchpin of a life lived in sync with the rhythms that God himself built into the world. And yet it is the discipline that seems hardest for us to live. Sabbath keeping honors the body's need for rest, the spirit's need for replenishment, and the soul's need to delight itself in God. It begins with willingness to acknowledge the limits of our humanness and then take steps to live more graciously within the order of things. And so for someone to resist that pattern that is modeled by God to resist this welcome into rest is actually to find ourselves out of sync with our very nature. It, it runs against the grain of the universe. I've heard the word disassociation used frequently often. I'm feeling a sense of dissociation. I, I feel not in my own body. I don't feel right with my body and right with the people around us. I wonder if rest or maybe a lack of rest has something to do with this. It causes us to be out of alignment with God, to be out of alignment with the world, out of alignment with ourselves. 
And it's also important to understand this scene here in Genesis chapter 2 appears in the story of Scripture before sin enters into the story. So that rhythm of work and rest is a description of the way life ought to be. Rest is the stuff of Eden. There is no vision of paradise without a vision of Sabbath. And even to this day, Jewish people will greet each other often with this phrase, Shabbat Shalom, which means peaceful rest. Or in other words, may your rest be a taste of the shalom of paradise. So we see rest in creation. Secondly, rest in the wilderness. The next significant place that the theme of rest appears in Scripture is where we find the first introduction to the word explicitly, the word Sabbath. It's found in the book of Exodus. And it's directly after God had delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt where they had no rest and brought them into the wilderness as they went on their way to the promised land. Exodus chapter 20, it's part of the Ten Commandments. It says this, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. So the Sabbath here is described as a day free from work for individuals, yes, but also for families. And a community as a whole, it's the way that we follow the example that was given to us by God at creation. There's spiritual significance here. But there's also a social dynamic. In fact, it's almost as if this theme of Sabbath is being presented here as a justice issue. Not just about making sure that we as individuals rest. Yeah, I got my day off but making sure that we are fighting for the rest of others in our lives. Fighting for the rest of the people that we are responsible for. Israel's Sabbath day was supposed to have this broad impact on the lives of others in a way that would shape the culture as a whole. And it's interesting that even the sojourners, the refugees, the immigrants, those who were not protected by the rights and privileges of Israel, even they would benefit too. Exodus 16 tells us the story of manna from heaven, which is a whole other story. But God says, every day I will provide manna, but one day, the day of the Sabbath. But the day before, I will provide enough for that day and the next, which is a way of God saying, you don't have to worry about resting. I will provide everything you need. And so at this point in the unfolding narrative of Scripture, despite this universal benefit, everyone benefits when they rest, the command to Sabbath at this point had only specifically been given to the covenant people of God, Israel. It was an instruction strictly to them. Why? 
Because Sabbath would be the way that the covenant people were set apart and different, distinct from all other nations. This is really important here. Rest would be the thing that made God's people different. The other nations, they don't Sabbath. The world, it's going to use you. It's going to exploit you. It's going to try to squeeze every ounce of energy out of you. The world is always going to require more of you, more of your time, more of your energy, more of your attention, more of your hours, more of your overtime, more of your responding to emails, more and more and more and more. Sabbath keeping would be the way that God's people remained noticeably different from the world. So this is interesting. What makes God's people so different What marks their holiness? It's the ability to take their work and put it down. It's their ability to say, that doesn't define me. That doesn't control me. I'm not the sum total of that. My life, my worth, my provision, my future, it's attached to something better. They had boundaries around their time. Fast forward to the book of Deuteronomy. The law reiterated to a new generation after their 40 years of wandering. And it was the same 10 commands, but this time Moses added a little bit of commentary for them to understand why these 10 commands. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we read this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You are your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. So here's the extra commentary. Don't forget where you came from. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So this command is appealing to Israel's history in slavery. God is saying, don't you remember? Don't you remember that brutal never-ceasing work in Egypt that was imposed on you. You never had rest. You were always looking over your shoulders. You always felt guilt to put your work down. Remember all that I've delivered you from? Now, Israel was free at this point in the story. Israel, when they had crossed the Red Sea, they were totally free. If you remember the story of the Exodus Pharaoh and his armies pursued them. God's people passed through safely through the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his armies did not. The waters covered over them, and there they lie at the bottom of their watery grave. So Pharaoh and his army who pursued them, they were dead. Their threats had ceased. The taskmaster was dead. And so in one way, Pharaoh was totally out of the picture, and his tyranny and abuse was a thing of the past. That's that's a thing of the past. And yet, in a very real way, his voice still resounded in their minds and in their hearts. They still heard his voice. Work, produce, 
achieve. Don't stop. You better not put that down. And so if the body really does keep the score, as it's been said, Israel was carrying within them the trauma of their slavery, the tension, the stress, that fear of putting their work down. It was behind them. It was in the past. And yet it was very real within them. It was in their bodies. It was in their hearts. That stress was still in their system 40 years later. And so God, who desires our ultimate freedom, provided the Sabbath as their way of processing through the past and then finding healing for the future. God was saying that was the old, anxious way of living. But where I'm taking you, it's going to involve something new. It's going to involve a new, restful way of living. Walter Brueggemann put it this way, Sabbath is about withdrawal from the anxiety system of Pharaoh. The refusal to let one's life be defined by production and consumption and the endless pursuit of private well-being. In our contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath, listen to these words, is an act of both resistance and alternative. It is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by production and consumption. Sabbath is a refusal to be conformed to the man. It is our way of bucking against the system. It's the way of saying, I'm not a cog in your wheel. So Sabbath had both Egypt and Eden in mind. Think about this. God was securing their freedom from the lingering effects of Egypt, yes. But he was also welcoming them back into a rhythm of faithful work and joyful rest that was found all the way back in the garden. Where is the Garden of Eden? Eden. (laughs) It's there, yeah. And there have been centuries of explorers that have sought to figure out where this place is. Well, if we figure out this river and this river, guess what? They can't find it. Where is Eden? Don't look beyond the obvious answer. Eden is where God is. Eden is where God is. And most specifically, Eden is where God's rest is. So despite the fact that they were wandering in the wilderness and they were far from their home, Sabbath served as this movable Eden that would follow them wherever they went, providing them refreshment and celebration and fulfillment in even the most lifeless, dry places. However, what our passage in Hebrews picks up on, and Psalm 95 says explicitly, God's people harden their hearts and they put God to the test. They didn't trust God in the wilderness. They didn't trust what God provides. And as a result, God denied one entire generation entrance into the promised land. In fact, Psalm 95 says this, for 40 years I loathed that generation and I said, They are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, 
I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. A whole generation, a whole generation forfeited their entrance because of unbelief. So the psalm pictures not just downtime or sleep or just a day, but it was a way of describing a way of life in the promised land, a very tangible place of goodness, abundance, peace, and fulfillment, a kind of rest that could only be experienced through faith. Which leads us thirdly to rest in the land. Now, we're in the book of Leviticus at this point in the story. And what the book of Leviticus does is it expands the vision of Sabbath from individual people to an entire land being given rest. In fact, before the people entered into Canaan, the promised land, God gave them some final instructions about what life would look like there under his restoring rule. He said this in Leviticus 25. When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For 60 years you shall sow your field. I'm sorry, not 60. For six years you shall sow your field. And for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruit. But in the seventh what? Year. There shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in the harvest, in your harvest, or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. So this is interesting. Okay, we're watching as this theme, de theme develops in the Bible. The vision of rest not only includes days, but now entire years. So the vision is expanding clearly. And as that theme of rest develops in the Bible, it creates this anticipation for the, the reader. Wait, if it's expanding from days to years, where could it go from here? And is there a chance, is there a chance that rest could one day be eternal? Now, however clear and compelling God's vision for rest was his covenant people did not abide. After Joshua led the people into Canaan, the Sabbath was very quickly abandoned and the people tumbled into social and spiritual ruin. In, in fact, if you read throughout the Old Testament prophets, one of the major charges that God brings against his people, specifically their disobedience, is you gave up on the Sabbath. You abandoned the Sabbath. And so the curse of the law, which God had promised would come on them if they were unfaithful, came upon them. God gave them into the hands of their enemies. Jerusalem was ransacked. The temple was desecrated. And the people were taken away into exile for 70 years away from their land of rest. And with brutal simplicity, the Bible tells us why that was. Why 70 years? Quote, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. 
See what is being said there? For hundreds and hundreds of years, God's people ignored him. They ignored the Sabbath. They did not allow, allow other people in the land to get their rest. So God took drastic measures. And he made sure it happened. And the Old Testament concludes with this sort of bleak idea when it comes to Sabbath. It shows us humanity's inability to keep the Sabbath holy. Keep the Sabbath holy. And the Old Testament ends with this resounding statement. We can't. We failed. <laughs> we tried. They knew what God desired for them. But the command to Sabbath itself lacked the ability to secure it for them. The law, all over the place, it spoke of rest. But it offered them no power to enter it. And left to themselves, true rest was always going to be out of humanity's reach. Which leads us to our final point. Rest in Jesus. As you make your way through the Bible, to the Old Testament, through the prophets, and then into the first four books of the New Testament, known as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you see is this theme of Sabbath reappears. And it's a sort of contentious theme. It's a, in fact, it's a flashpoint between Jesus and the religious leaders of the time. Mark chapter 2 says this, On the Sabbath, one Sabbath, he was, speaking of Jesus, going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate of the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man. Not the man for Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is showing the religious leaders what they've been missing all along. That the Sabbath is intended to be a blessing, not another burden. It's restorative. It's not repressive. It's about experiencing spiritual and physical freedom. It was never intended to become a second taskmaster. How unfortunate, replacing the burdens of Pharaoh with the burdens of religion. You've missed the point. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So in so doing, what Jesus is doing is he's affirming the Sabbath. In no way here are his actions or are his words diminishing God's law or the necessity for a day of rest. However, what Jesus is saying is I both affirm the law and I fulfill it. King David, the ceremonial law, the traditions of the priests, the Sabbath day itself, it all served to reveal something greater that was to come, something better, something more eternal. And guess what he's saying? That something is me. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Apostle Paul, Paul would develop this further in Colossians after describing the death and resurrection of Jesus that frees us from the empty philosophies of man, forgives us of our sin, conquers the powers of, of the devil and evil. He then concludes with this statement. 
Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is where we get our name. Jesus is the reality to which the Sabbath points. So while observing the Sabbath and keeping it holy was absolutely vital to the Mosaic Covenant, however, that day itself was incapable of securing the rest that we all long for most, which Jesus alone provides through the New Covenant. And so what the author of Hebrews does is he takes all of this background all of this biblical context, all that has been developing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and then imports it into this rich little statement found in verse three, for we who have believed enter that rest. All that has been developed, all that was promised, all that many generations failed to experience, We who believe get it in full. Unbelief forfeits it. Faith secures it. And what this means is that the rest that your heart longs for most, the kind of rest that you can't find in more sleep or another vacation or a new job or a new relationship or through dulling your senses through vices, through dulling your mind and your anxieties through entertainment. This true rest is available exclusively through faith in Jesus. Moses, Joshua, all the best of them were only able to lead God's people to the edges. But it's through Jesus that you enter all the way in, now and in eternity. And as the world charges on, grinding it out, trying to make themselves something, weary under the weight of trying to prove themselves, God welcomes you into his rest by trusting in the finished work of Jesus. We're told in verse 10 here, for whoever's entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his What this means is as we enter into the Sabbath found in Jesus, we rest from our works. Now, this does not mean inactivity. This doesn't mean that we become these spiritually lazy people. What it means is that we experience freedom from the burden of having to work and earn our way into God's acceptance. Our rest in God does not depend on our work for God. Our rest in God depends in Jesus' work for us, all that he has accomplished. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he fulfilled all the requirements, all the demands in our place. He worked for you so that you could rest in him. He worked for you so that you could forever rest in him. And as a child of God, who is loved and being provided for, you no longer respond to the voice of the, ty- the, the tyrant slave master. That voice no longer has power over you. 
When you hear that voice, work to make yourself something. Do, 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 accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. Accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. Resist it. And allow the voice of our Savior to speak over you. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Sabbath, rest, remains for the people of God. And what that means is for the Christian today, Sabbath is not done away with. It means that the Sabbath is now infused with all the more significance and meaning. It means that it's the way that we align our lives and our schedules and our weeks around the bigger story that we belong to. Sabbath is about being restoried. It's about being reminded about what the truest thing about you is. And not only does it point back to creation, but it also points forward to what's to come in the new heavens and the new earth. Every time we rest by faith, every time we put our work down and trust that God is going to be our provision, every time we resist the rat race, every time we refuse to allow busyness to consume our lives and consume our schedules. Every, every time we set aside the Lord's day to rest and to commune with God and his people, we are strengthening our hope in what's to come. Rest remains for those who enter by faith. That's the context to be continued. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the...